Truth Espresso, episode 131. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Friends, uh, foes, and lurkers alike. <laughs> Trying to think of something more creative for uh, our listeners. <laughs> I'm hoping most of you are friends and fans and not foes and lurkers, but <laughs> welcome to another episode of Truth Espresso. And my wife and co host Chelsea joins me to continue our discussion from last week, last Monday, on Romans 13 and the role of government. And so, if you haven't listened to that episode from last week, it would be well worth your time to listen to it to provide background for what we're going to talk about today, because it's kind of like the other side of the coin from what we talked about last week. So, last week we talked about Romans 13 and what does it mean versus what does it not mean, how people often, especially Christians, often misunderstand Romans 13. And on cursory reading, you might think that it would that it's basically saying, whatever the government wants, it gets. And Christians should cheer and support whatever the government says to do, but... Last week, we kind of gave a little bit of a different opinion on that, a little bit of a different understanding that we believe the Bible does not really teach that the government is the ultimate authority. Yeah, so last week we were able to give more background information, like you said, for Romans 13 and actually looking at Romans 12 and how that gives you a little more insight into what Romans 13 is actually talking about. So... Yeah, if you missed last week's episode, definitely listen to that because this episode will probably make a little more sense. But I think overall, we just summarized that what the government's role is and what is the role of the government, babe? I think you well, did a good job summarizing that. <laughs> yeah, so as you mentioned, so we are Romans 12 mentioned that where the Apostle Paul says, avenge not yourselves, for God says that vengeance is mine. Then in this chapter, Romans 13, he proceeds to explain the powers that God has ordained and says that the government is an avenger to execute wrath on them that do evil. So Paul talked about good and evil, and we answered the question, well, who defines what's good and evil? And obviously the answer to that is God, and so how has God defined good and evil? And Paul then elaborates later on where he lists out the second table of the law. And just like Jesus summarizes the law with the first table, the law is, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart. 
and the second table is love your neighbor as yourself. But Paul, in this case, in this chapter, all he do, he lists out the second table, and just like Jesus says, it's summed up in thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And what is the second table of law? Well, the first table is this is what you should do toward God, and the second table is this is what you should not do toward your fellow human being. And so, wait a minute, you know, the role of government is a bunch of thou shalt nots. <laughs> but yeah, that seems to be what Paul is talking about. So the good and the evil and the government's role is to praise the good and punish evil. And what was evil? Well, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. So that's the role of government according to Paul here as he actually elaborates. So when he talks about paying taxes, if what the role of government is a bunch of thou shalt nots, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot, you know, when it comes to what we should recognize as taxable functions, you know, so just like with uh, God's people in Israel, there wasn't really taxes per se. There's like, oh, you had the little census, annual census uh, tax of like $5 worth of silver, you know, a half shekel, and the rich shall not pay more nor the poor pay less than, you know, half shekel of silver. There is the tithe laws, but that's, you know, <laughs> I'm going to air an interview that I had with Kevin Thompson of the Basic Bible Podcast soon about my book, Freedom to Give the Biblical Truth About Tithing, where tithing is no longer a requirement. It was for the nation of Israel, but not for the church. Now, this episode's not about tithing, but understanding, okay, that's not a role for the government as it is today, as we're not in the theocratic nation of Israel. So, yeah, it seems like uh, Paul's explanation in Romans 13 is that the role of government is a bunch of thou shalt nots. And so respect your fellow human, summarize that up basically as, you know, what you teach your children don't hit and don't take someone else's stuff. <laughs> you know, and, and that's basically it for government. Shocking, isn't it? Um, you know, I'm sure there's some of our listeners who might not be thinking that way right now. And to hear us talk about that, if you if you haven't listened to the last episode, please listen to that because that's where we explained this. And it can be kind of a tough ride there to learn that and realize, really, that's Romans 13. That's the role, biblical role of government. The government's not supposed to do a whole lot. They're just basically mediators between someone who aggresses against someone else and the aggressor and the uh, aggressed. <laughs> and that's what Paul says with the bearing the sword to be an avenger, to execute wrath on someone that does evil. <laughs> I think you had a Bible verse that you wanted to start us off with this time. Oh, yeah. And, and Paul, even in the same epistle early on, Romans 2.14, he says, For when the Gentiles, 
you know, and he's not referring to saved Gentiles, basically the nations, the Gentile nations, even if they're in a kind of a pagan state. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, you know, the law of Moses, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. So this very limited role of government, you know, obviously the pagan nations did things more than you know, the law here. They didn't have the law of Moses, but by human nature, it's intrinsic, it's written on the hearts, this aspect of the law of Moses, the second table of the law, like, I don't know of a nation on earth that their officially recognized position is, thou shalt kill, or it is perfectly okay to kill, and and people recognize, oh yes, you know, it's perfectly okay to kill for no reason, or steal, you know, most even pagan people who don't have the law of God written down for them, they will recognize, even if not consistently carried out, everyone recognizes that it should be the law that you don't kill, you don't steal. You know, there's the concept of marriage, you know, even if people practice licentiousness, people still recognize that righteously there is such a thing as uh, uh, the an institution of marriage that people should be faithful and and that it's wrong to covet and steal what doesn't belong to you. They recognize, even if not perfectly, the idea that there's such a thing as ownership of things. And so, yeah, it's basic like that, such that even pagan Gentile nations that didn't have the law of Moses still in some form practiced the second table of the law. They do by nature the things contained in the law. And so, yeah, this is kind of the law of general equity. Now we should practice it consistently as delineated in the second table of law. There should be no privilege to kill or steal that the elites might have versus the poor people or the non-privileged. You know, we recognize human equity or equality (laughs) that, you know, can't use the term equity because that has a stigma (laughs) um, politically now, but equality that killing is wrong by virtue of humanity it's not like if someone has more worth and to kill than other people it's it's a general equity thing whoever kills as genesis 9 6 says who shows sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed and it has, says nothing about whether one is rich or poor <laughs> so that's the role of government as i say in this gospel age you know where we don't have a theocratic nation there, but the second table of the law is what Paul defines as the role of government. (laughs) Yeah, so since we kind of summarized what the role of government should be, (laughs) maybe we should discuss a little bit more of what it should not be. Oh, yeah. So this episode is like the flip side of the coin. It's not a completely different thing. It's the other side of the coin. So think of certain things like what is not the function of government so if it doesn't fall under the second table of the law i'm sure some people will will try to make cases for certain things like virtues and so on but is it the role of government according to what paul laid out there 
to regulate certain vices that aren't crimes against other people, <laughs> like binge watching Netflix or you know, <laughs> um, eating too much ice cream in one day, or you know, just is it the government's job to punish gluttony by virtue of a written code of law that tries to delineate what constitutes and what doesn't constitute gluttony, <laughs> and yeah, what do you think, sweetheart? Do you know, is that the role of government? And if it were, how would we even figure that out? How can you figure it out by writing words down what would amount to it and what wouldn't? Yeah, so I think that's probably why Paul laid out <laughs> such clear instructions and in even reciting the second tablet of the law because then that helps you kind of understand, okay, does gluttony follow any of those commandments? Like, is gluttony harming or killing another person? Mm. Is gluttony stealing from someone? Hmm. Well, I guess if it's really bad and you're <laughs> stealing food, yeah, then that could be punishable by government. But yeah, yeah, in general, that's not something that would be the role of the government to step in and <laughs> tell you what to do and what not to do as far as your eating habits. Yeah. Gluttony is one example, you know, <laughs> trying to think of an example that most people would recognize. Yeah, that would be kind of tough to figure out a perfect written code of law whereby government would be able to define it where everyone would recognize it. Like, okay, so think about the 2,000 calorie thing that's on a lot of food labels. Now, it does say, like, calorie needs vary according to the person. It's just a kind of a general guideline. Well, yeah, sure, put that on the labels, but... What if the government mandated that no one can eat more than 2,000 calories in a day? <laughs> so some people, if they don't understand the science, might say, well, yeah, why don't we do that? That'll result in everyone being healthy. But then we think about, wait, some people are more physically active than others. If someone's doing physical training, lifting weights, running and stuff, their calorie needs will be greater than someone, you know, who isn't. And so that would actually harm some people. Or another effect of it would be it would discourage a lot of people from doing physical activity because then if they need more calories and the mandate doesn't allow them to eat more than 2,000 calories, you know, that's what we need to realize here you know how can a government properly scientifically in a method of absolute truth define gluttony in words that would be a one-size-fits-all policy for a nation you know? <laughs> <Yikes>. <laughs> and it, yeah and so i hope that you recognize that yeah the bible a few times mentions gluttony you know as a sin but it's a vice and it's not a crime and, and when it comes to vices versus crimes the way that the vice is regulated is by natural consequences mm -hmm. so i have some verses here for this proverbs 23 verses 20 through 21 says be not among wine bibbers among riotous eaters of flesh for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty 
and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. So there we see the advice to tell someone, don't be a drunkard and don't be a glutton because it will result in poverty. Now, it's not the role of government to make a law that says you must not do this because we will impose poverty on you or it's the role of government to prevent anyone from slipping into poverty so therefore we must have a law against being a glutton you know so a vice like this because the government cannot in any way absolutely scientifically define it as a personal vice god has built into nature a way that if someone does this vice ultimately they harm themselves so nature carries out the appropriate punishment for certain vices like this so then (laughs) when it comes to government government should not be shielding people from the consequences of vices you know by certain means like oh if someone is suffering from a vice we must mandate that they get paid to have care for them to overcome this So one of the natural things is just simply they must suffer the consequences. Now people can voluntarily help them out as an act of charity, which would then be more of a testimony. But when you have the government trying to impose a system that tries to overcome the consequences of a vice, then people naturally tend to think they're entitled to it. Therefore, the effects of the vice get artificially suppressed and then people people don't think the vice is really a vice. So that's the problem with the government either trying to, as we explained before, regulate against a vice, you know, and harming people, like with the example of trying to define how many calories people are allowed legally to eat, versus also on the other side, a government trying to impose some kind of system like some kind of health care laws or such that mandate that people are shielded from the effects of the vice and, and therefore encourage people to engage more in the vice. Yeah, I like how you brought up the book of Proverbs to oh, yeah. kind of <laughs> demonstrate the action and the consequence because that's pretty much the whole entire book mm-hmm. of Proverbs and just the wisdom that God gave Solomon mm-hmm. in writing that and it's such a great book for helping guide you in a lot of these different decisions that may not be so black and white and <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so Proverbs is a great resource to go to and kind of understand how we should live and how we should look at government how we should look at just even raising our own kids mm-hmm. like it's a great instruction manual <laughs> yeah and that's why it's called Proverbs you know now Proverbs will deal with people committing violence and still kind of like yeah they they'll get their due or and stuff like that but proverbs is not technically a manual of law it's a manual of wisdom and a lot of times mentions incline your ear to what your father says and don't hearken to the instruction of your mother and so there's a lot of like family stuff there too you know parents and children and advice for life and how to avoid poverty and stuff like that so yeah Proverbs is a good book for avoiding the vices and not suffering (laughs) the consequences of vices and that God is designed into nature. Or as a result of the fall, too. But God God is the one who's designed nature to be that way. (laughs) So what about when government wants to implement positive requirements? 
like, you know, this last couple of years, we've seen some examples of this where government wants to, you know, mandate masks or mandate vaccines. How are we as Christians supposed to respond to those mandates given our understanding of the role of government from Romans 13? Oh, yes. It's a good question, sweetheart. And so the first thing we want to get at is to help Christians to understand the role of government. And then once we understand the role of government in this, then we could figure out how do we deal with particular mandates in individual situations. So Christians, we should understand that as Christians who believe that the Word of God is the ultimate authority, God is the lawgiver, that governments do not have any legitimate authority from God to do laws that don't fit with God's prescription, especially like as we looked at Romans 13, it's a bunch of thou shalt nots. And so what about these mandates that are for positive actions. Well, we're hoping to explain and hoping that we can understand that the Christian position is that none of these things are the role of government. So it's not for government to do these things. Now, by me saying these words, that doesn't mean that it erases the fact that governments are overstepping the bounds of what the Word of God says is legitimate for a government to do. So, we are faced with things like mask mandates illegitimately and vaccine mandates around the corner and in reality in a lot of places. So, given that, given that the Christian position should be to agree that these things are not legitimate roles of government. How do we deal with these things? Well, I would say that it's individual conscience that might differ depending on the situation or the particular mandate at hand. Like, yeah, I do not agree with mask mandates, and I know you don't either, sweetheart, and the point we're trying to make is that it's not the role of government to mandate such a thing. Now, people, even Christians, might disagree on whether it's a good idea to wear a mask, you know, in situations, or even that we might disagree on whether masks help in preventing the spread of COVID. Some Christians think they don't. Some Christians think they do. We should agree that it's not the role of government to mandate them. So then, given that there are mandates... And I'm someone who thinks that masks haven't proven to be the panacea that they've been presented as in the media. So I think masks are not effective and they could even introduce their own problems. You know, people touching masks, spreading COVID by touching masks and not wearing them properly, not disposing them properly and so on, you know. I know Tom Woods, he has a podcast, The Tom Woods Show, and he has had videos where he'd show charts of when mask mandates were implemented for different states or countries and the the charts showing the numbers of cases and so on with COVID to demonstrate that there is no discernible statistical connection between mask mandates or the number of people wearing masks and the effect on reducing COVID. So given that, and given that, okay, there could be a mask mandate, there used to be in our state, 
what if I need to go to the store? And as a Christian, if I believe the government should not impose a mask mandate, it's not a legitimate thing, but they declare it anyway. And I don't believe that it does anything for me or whatever. But if I need to go to the store, I might weigh the pros and cons and decide, okay, what happens if I go in the store without a mask? You know, I might be able to get away with it and just have an argument with someone and they don't want to deal with me and let me go through. And hey, I've made some progress and gotten my groceries successfully without a mask on. Or I could decide it's not going to harm me if I put it on for 10 minutes to run in and grab my groceries. That's an individual Christian conscience there as to what they do, even in response to something they believe is illegitimate. (laughs) And given the particular mandate, the particular situation, like say someone who tries to avoid wearing a mask at all possible, but a situation comes up, they're out of state friend or relative is deathly ill and they need to get there as quickly as possible and they've the only way to do it is to fly in an airplane and the airplane requires a mask mandate and by virtue of the government a federal mandate and you do really do not like masks and you don't think it's legitimate you know you still put on a mask and do it because it's the practical thing to do given the situation But as Christians, we should, if we understand the Bible, we should, first of all, understand this is not a legitimate thing for government to do. However, it could handle it pragmatically, and we should be able to respect whether people wear masks or don't wear masks, and to respect how they handle situations themselves. So, yeah, depends on the mandate, depends on the situation, individual Christian conscience, but the baseline should be that the Christian position is that the government should only do the things that the government is authorized to do according to the Bible. Yeah, I like how you explained that and kind of gave us some scenarios to put into practice. And especially with the current events right now, to kind of apply what our understanding of Romans 13 is and how we can respond to government overstep as Christians. And I've actually heard some Christians say too that if you disagree with government or go against government, so for our example with the mask mandates, so if you don't agree with the mask mandates, then you're disrespecting the government. And that's not what the Bible says. (laughs) But I'm kind of curious as to what your thoughts are on that too, babe. I'm kind of thinking that that's a little bit different because disagreeing means that they're not doing something like we pointed out okay the bible says their role as government is to enforce the second law or the second tablet (laughs) of the law not the second law of thermodynamics (laughs) 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 um okay so that's their role and if they're not doing that then of course we're going to disagree with that but to me being disrespectful would be like name calling them or Mm, like, I don't know, just being rude or, you know, disrespectful to me isn't disagreeing. Like you can disagree, you can still Mm. be respectful. And I know we were kind of talking about this earlier too. Like, okay, that seems like that's what we need to do as Christians, no matter what, and treating each other with respect and courtesy and love because 
Some people feel convicted to wear masks. Some people feel convicted not to. And that's not harming Mm -hmm. each other. But what is harming each other is these critical Mm. attitudes and these critical words that people are exchanging. And it's dividing Christians. And it's just, Mm. to me, it's so sad because that is exactly what government wants and what tyranny wants is to divide people. Yeah, I know we talked among ourselves before recording this episode last year, last summer, our church, as it was meeting, you know, some churches did this. They had like these colored bracelets that people could put on, you know, they could just go grab the colored bracelet they want. And then each color had a code. Each color meant something like one would mean keep your distance. Another would be like, okay, you know, I can shake your hand and stuff. And another would be like I don't care let's hug you know kind of thing like that and that's really the way Christians should treat each other when it comes to disagreements like you know as I said I'm hoping that this episode will help Christians to understand what the role of government is but beyond the role of government we can have disagreements over whether COVID is much of a threat as some people believe it's more of a threat some people believe it's less of a threat some people believe that masks help the spread others don't some people are scared some people aren't and we should be able to, everyone should be able to respect everyone's position on the issue at hand there they should agree on what the government's role is but those who are scared of the virus you know Christians should be able to respect that those who aren't scared of it should respect those who are scared and treat them accordingly let keep their dis let them keep their distance there should be no criticism of that and likewise those who are more scared of it should respect other ones who aren't to do more socializing and closing their distances and so on and that's the way Christians should be like Philippians 2 we mentioned before let each esteem other better than themselves and you know lowliness of mind you know we should <laughs> if we believe that the role of government is no mask mandate it that does not equal well it must be our moral pursuit to unmask every citizen you know <laughs> let them wear you want to wear a mask let them wear a mask you know and also believe that if someone doesn't want to wear a mask don't force it on them yeah let, let people be each persuaded in their own mind as to what the best tactic is for themselves <laughs> you know we were kind of talking about this point too like on these kinds of topics where you're trying to figure out okay now that we know all right government should not be hmm overlording us in this area but because they are and there are certain decisions we need to make like really communicating with each other um, as a couple and also coming to an agreement with your family Mm. to decide like what direction what you're going to do in response to this so that way everyone's on the same team and you're coming together and you have that core family structure Mm. and I think that's just so important in looking at all the stuff that's going on today because that's exactly what they want to do just tear everyone apart Mm. (laughs) like tear families apart tear churches apart tear community apart and we're letting government do that because we're saying oh it's okay we need to bow down to government Mm. and looking at romans 13 no that Mm. is not their role 
And so we as Christians need to stand up against that and say enough is enough because we need to protect our families. We need to protect the church and we need to be able to witness to other people with the gospel. And how are we able to do that when we're calling people names mm. and criticizing their choices for wearing masks or getting vaccinated or mm. not vaccinated? And I don't know, to me, it's just horrible to see all of this yes. <laughs> conflict over something the government started yeah. up, basically. Yeah, exactly. So we are. And that's the purpose of government tyranny like this is social engineering of people and to pit the <laughs> sheeple against the the weeds or whatever here are the people who need to be ostracized and removed from society and here are the good law-abiding citizens who agree with everything the government wants to mandate and so the solution as christians our basis should be to understand and all agree on what is the role of government and then from there, disagree with each other on practical solutions in Christian love and charity, you know, because we can be united as a church with some people wearing masks and other people not, and some people getting vaccinated and other people not, and all respecting each other's individual choices in that matter. But hopefully we can all eventually agree on the proper understanding of Romans 13 and the role of government. <laughs> Sorry, for some reason, when you're talking about that, it just reminded me of Avengers. <laughs> the Avengers, the Marvel yes. Avengers. Yes. I mean, the Bible does say here in <laughs> Romans 13 that the government is an Avenger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I actually think of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, know I did too. Um, okay, we just recently watched the Civil War. Oh, yeah. Ep Captain America Civil War. Yes, which mm. I don't really like that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, oh. um, so it reminded me of that part. The ultimate bad guy in that movie towards the end, he didn't even have to personally fight the Avengers because mm. yeah. he knew he couldn't take them on. He actually worked on the inside and made the Avengers mm. attack each other yeah. and tear each other apart to where mm. they destroyed each other. They destroyed their friendship. And I'm like, oh, yikes. That's <laughs> exactly what's going on yeah. now is that government and ultimately Satan is trying mm. to tear Christians apart by going on the inside and making them actually fight against each other. Yeah, and then exactly. he can just sit back and be like, oh, look at them tear each other apart. Yeah, and the root of fighting each other is because there's a lot of disagreement on the role of government, you know. So unfortunately from that, you know, because I think we could have a lot more civil disagreements if we have the agreement on the proper role of government. And then because then everything else, all disagreements, you know, are personal decisions and so on like that. But yeah. Yeah, good illustration there, sweetheart. And Ephesians 4, verses 31 through 32 sums this up. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. 
<laughs> so within the church, we should all avoid bitterness and being angry and speaking evil against each other because of disagreements. There's a place for disagreements. We can't agree on every little nuance of things. But <laughs> So understanding where the agreement is as Christians, <laughs> we are free to disagree or practice certain things differently, you know. People could wear different styles of clothes as long as they're modest and stuff. And everyone should accept that. And same with wearing masks or not wearing masks. As mentioned before, you know, that falls under Christian liberty. <laughs> In summary for this point, Christians should not approve of tyranny or government actions that go beyond the ordained powers God has granted but we can either disagree or make individual choices in charity that differ with how to handle different situations. <laughs> so I have a quick quote right quick to okay. sum that one up. <laughs> it's really cool. Francis Schaeffer, he wrote The Christian Manifesto in 1981. Excellent book. It talks a lot about what we're seeing here today. So very interesting. So Francis Schaeffer says, quote, tyranny is satanic. Mm. Not to resist it is to resist God. To resist tyranny is to honor God, <laughs> end quote. Nice. <laughs> That's a very good statement. <laughs> hoping that a lot of Christians listening to this will, if you ha wouldn't have agreed with it before, hoping we can help you agree with that statement that Romans 13 does not authorize tyranny. As our last week's episode, we asked the question, does Romans 13 allow tyranny? I hope that by now, if you've been listening to this, you'd agree that no. Romans 13, God does not give human any human to go beyond what God has defined as good and evil. <laughs> Ever wish you could get together with a friend over coffee each week and talk about God's Word? Me too. Hi, I'm Anthony Russo. I'm the host of Grace and Peace Radio. Grace and Peace Radio is a Christian living blog and podcast dedicated to engaging conversations about applying God's Word to everyday life. I hope you'll join me, Anthony Russo, on Grace and Peace Radio each week at graceandpeaceradio.com or right here on the ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. Given the principles we talked about or the role of government, we can rattle off a long list of things, you know, <laughs> and, you know, it would take episodes just on each one of those to explain well, why that is a problem, you know, things like, okay, should the government get involved in education? Uh, that's not one of the thou shalt not, so no. Should the government um, manage health care? Wait. That's not in the thou shalt nots, you know, in the second table of the law. No, you know, and I say we could defend that in other episodes, but any kind of positive thing that you can think of, a lot of the things that governments today do go beyond God's prescription of government merely enforcing being an avenger to execute wrath on those that do evil. And so it's not the purpose of government to force people to do good, you know, even like charity. Should the government mandate certain programs that people are obligated to contribute to them, you know, yeah, we have that, you know, but I say the Bible, God's law does not authorize governments to do that today. And so 
No. Now, people will debate over the technical merits of things like that, but I say biblically, the role of government is not to do that. It's not a one of the thou shalt nots. Yeah. So we could multiply examples, but those are some examples. And then finally, I kind of added to our notes here one thing that I want to address that a lot of Christians might not really understand just how bad this one is because patriotism or nationalism or something like that. But I want to ask the question, what about conscription or a draft? Is that a legitimate role of government today? What do you think, sweetheart, before we get into some verses and some other stuff backing this up? But do you think it's a good thing for a government or a biblical thing for a government to conscript people into a military? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it's a good thing. And I'm pretty sure you've got some good verses there to (laughs) prove it. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of Christians are being good Americans and fight the bad guys and stuff. And so I'm not talking about, I'm not saying a military is bad. I'm asking the question, is conscription good or bad? Is conscription a role of government? Now, I think the Bible discourages it. I mean, there was certain theocratic conscriptions in Israel, in the tribes there, but when the people wanted a king, God, through Samuel, warned the people of what would happen. They wanted a king to be like other nations, and what were these other nations? Well, they were the pagan Canaanite nations. And so First Samuel 8, verses 10 through 12 says, And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. The run before his chariots, you're thinking of the front lines, like the people are going to get thrust with arrows first, you know. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And so this is one of the warnings. The people want a king. They want a centralized power to be, you know, their face to the nations and say, you know, oh, God isn't our king. This human is our king. And this is the warning that the king is going to conscript their sons into the military to fight his battles. Yeah, that's a warning. And it says the people didn't hearken unto Samuel's words, their warning. And so Samuel set up a king for them. And it said that they will cry out at some point and because of the burden placed on them, but God wouldn't hear them because they wanted a king instead of God to be their king. But God's law actually warned against, it actually predicted that the people would want a king and then gave laws about what the king shouldn't do. In Deuteronomy seventeen sixteen, it says, But he, referring to the king, shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. And multiplying horses, I think, has to do with horses of battle, chariots, and so on, like an army there. So the king is not to take pride in setting up his army. 
And it's clear that God did not want Israel to take pride in their army. Even when Gideon got a volunteer army of, you know, 32,000 people, I believe, God reduced them down because he said, lest they believe that they delivered themselves out of Midian with their own hands. So God did not want the king or the authorities to believe that their victories are won by their own numbering the people. You know, God punished David for numbering the people and so on. So there's a lot of advice, you know, and even in the law that the kings are not to multiply horses. The warning is that setting up a king would uh, conscript their sons. So yeah, I know there are a lot of people who think that a draft as such is the ultimate duty to your nation is being a good patriot and stuff. I've even heard some Christians say, you know, we should be like other nations and mandate that everyone must join the military at least for two years or such. And they think that's a really a good idea, you know, and it's like, no, I don't believe that's the role of government. I also believe that's dangerous and tyrannical. And you have anything to say about this, sweetheart, before I read something from early on in American history? (laughs) Yeah, and I'm just thinking that it doesn't really make sense that everyone has to serve in the military. Hmm. Just thinking through how God, I mean, I know it's talking about the body of Christ, but how God's given different people different gifts and talents. And some people are called to serve their country and be in the military But if you're like demanding that everyone does, that just seems like you're kind of calling them away from what God has called them to be because we need teachers, we need doctors, we need software developers, (laughs) like scientists, we need all these different people. So you can't just say every single person has to be drafted Mm -hmm. into the army at some point. And I think that there are so many people that would volunteer to go into it because when it is a calling like that. I think, Hmm. I don't know. It just seems (laughs) that it would contradict a lot of different passages in scripture and common sense too. Yeah. America has had one of the greatest military forces for the most part, voluntary military. You know, Mm -hmm. most people who join, join because they believe in the cause. And now I'm talking about whether any of the given wars were just or unjust is for other episodes. But the point is joining the military should be voluntary even Gideon raised his army voluntarily you know now I want to read something from Daniel Webster back when they're dealing with the war of 1812 you know like how many people today even know much about the war of 1812 but at the time in the infant Uh, United States here, Daniel Webster gave this speech before the floor of the House of Representatives on December 9th, 1814, when President James Madison was trying to propose a bill of conscription to get more people to fight in the War of 1812. And this is what Daniel Webster said. Quote, is this, sir, consistent with the character of a free government? Is this civil liberty? Is this the real character of our Constitution? No, sir, indeed it is not. The Constitution is libeled, foully libeled. The people of this country have not established for themselves such a fabric of despotism. <laughs> 
They have not purchased at a vast expense of their own treasure and their own blood a Magna Carta to be slaves. You know, and he's talking about they fought the Revolutionary War. They didn't do all that to become slaves to the government, you know. Mm -hmm. Where is it written in the Constitution? In what article or section is it contained that you may take children from their parents and parents from their children and compel them to fight the battles of any war in which the folly or the wickedness of government may engage it? Under what concealment has this power lain hidden, which now for the first time comes forth with a tremendous and baleful aspect to trample down and destroy the dearest rights of personal liberty? Sir, I almost disdain to go to quotations and references to prove that such an abominable doctrine has no foundation in the constitution of the country. It is enough to know that that instrument was intended as the basis of a free government, and that the power contended for is incompatible with any notion of personal liberty. An attempt to maintain this doctrine upon the provisions of the Constitution is an exercise of perverse ingenuity to extract slavery from the substance of a free government. It is an attempt to show by proof and argument that we ourselves are subjects of despotism and that we have a right to chains and bondage firmly secured to us and our children by the provisions of our government, unquote. You know, very powerful speech there, you know, before the House floor by someone. There's a lot of roads in Massachusetts named after Daniel Webster. And Daniel Webster, I believe, was a Federalist. So I think he even thought the government should have more rules than I believe Thomas Jefferson or anyone. But conscription here, he realized the Constitution doesn't authorize it. And conscription is essentially slavery because, you know, what if the government for an evil reason decided to propagandize a war well then if they have the power to draft people to the military they have the power to draft them into the military anytime they want and it's essentially ownership of their very lives and daniel webster made the point about taking children from their parents and parents from their children so with the power to conscript where's the integrity of the family unit like how many of you are raising young children you know you have a young boy you're going to look at your four-year-old boy and think i believe the government has the right to take this boy from me when he's 18 and make him go fight and die you know and i'm going to cheer that on as a good patriot you know take my children from me and they might have a better life to live they might want to start a family they might want to preach the gospel they want to do something productive or even good for the kingdom of god but hey government whenever you decide you own my child's life or you know think of young children who their fathers who should be parenting their children get whisked away by the mandate of a government to go fight and leave a widow taking care of children is that really a thing that christians should support <laughs> out of patriotism 
that does not seem biblical at all. We looked at passages in scripture. God instituted the family. And if you have love for your children, children for their parents, you know, you shouldn't believe it's a righteous thing that a government has the right to tear apart the family and own people's lives and dispose of their lives for the government's own purpose. You know. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really cool that Daniel Webster was brave and wrote that letter to, <laughs> yeah. was it Madison? Yeah, James Madison, James Madison who, yeah. you know, he was a champion of the Constitution, but even James Madison, you know, felt the pressure, like, Maybe we should, you know, he was trying to push for conscription to fight in the War of 1812. And yes. (laughs) But to me, that's kind of the sad part. Like, it's rare to see people standing up and being bold for doing what's right. Mm. And just so many examples in the Bible of people that did that, like Queen Esther and going before the king, even though she knew you're Mm. not supposed to go before the king without being summoned and she risked that standing up and being bold to save mm. her people. And yes. you have Daniel and standing against government, telling him when and where and how he could pray. And he's like, no, this is what God told me to do. I'm going to obey God. Mm. And he was thrown in the lion's den. Yes. But God saved him in that situation. And so many countless stories of people being brave, being bold, standing up for truth, standing up for Christ and not backing down. And I think that we are missing that today. Mm. And hopefully these episodes that we're talking about, like the role of government, will help embolden Christians to stand up and have that clear understanding of what the government's role is and what it's not. And okay, now I know where my place is. Now I know what I need to stand up against and what I need to fight. Because I've heard so many Christians Hmm. be like, oh, well, let's not even worry about the masks or the vaccine stuff. You know, we just need to submit to government because that's what the Bible tells us to do. And if we just sit back here and do our due diligence of patriotism, then Hmm. everything's going to work out. Well, we are in this mess. Because of Christians Mm. sitting back in the pews, just letting tyranny Mm -hmm. overtake us. Yes, yes. Amen, sweetheart. You know, what's that quote about for evil to succeed? Of course, I'm totally botching it. You know, uh, all it takes is for good men to do nothing. You know, I'm totally misquoting it there. But you get the idea, you know, what allows evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Christians should resist tyranny because we realize the Bible does not afford tyranny to any human. They are accountable to God and God's law. God is supreme, not man. Christ is king, not Caesar. And yeah, Christians shouldn't support conscription. Christians shouldn't support governments mandating anything that goes beyond God's law. So, yeah, I hope that these episodes, these two episodes talking about Romans 13 were helpful. And I hope we can all agree on the biblical role of government, even if we disagree on how we as Christians individually, according to conscience, handle specific situations. But, you know, (laughs) stay tuned for the next episodes of Truth Espresso. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. 
Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 